suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, episode 283, the last one for 2020. So, my name is Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. And thank Christ, 2020 is almost (laughs) over. What's he going to do with it? Blasphemer. <laughs> I am a blasphemer, I know that, and mm. I don't care. <laughs> I was reading stuff that said 21 might even be worse. So Yeah, we, but at we, least we can have a vaccine. Right. <laughs> we might be looking at the glory days of, of 2020 and wishing for it again, Well, depending you know, on the economy. You, you just gotta, well, the economy will recover, though. It, mm. You know, the latest... Will it, is the question. It could... It, okay. Before we talk any more about that, mm. Paul, 12th man. Greetings, earthlings. Joe the tech guy. Even here, everyone. Okay, back to you. Well, you know, you've got the uh, the RBAs, that sort of stuff, has said that um, they had originally predicted that uh, unemployment would peak at 15%. They're now talking about it peaking at 7.5%. Mm. The Treasury and that sort of stuff is now more optimistic about the whole thing. And, you know, this is a, indu- a virus-induced recession. We've got a vaccine now that's going to start being rolled out in Australia from March. We'll probably all be, those who want the vaccine will be vaccinated by September, I would have thought. So then we can re, we can then open the borders and that sort of thing and everything will return to normal. Let me play, play the devil's advocate oh, to you. Yeah. There's a lot of zombie companies out there. Absolutely. And there's there a lot of businesses propped up. By the government, I by agree. By the government. And this government is going to pull the pin mm-hmm. and come March, maybe, um, Word on the street from the insolvency experts, according to my consultancy neighbour, is that uh, it could be carnage out there. So there I'll, will be a lot of companies that go belly up yeah. in March or April. So there's a lot of just zombie businesses at the moment, and Absolutely. they haven't really come out yet. So when that happens, ouch! Who knows? Mm. Mm. I agree. Look forward to, dear listener. No, well, I think you're going to see. Um, a lot in retail and that sort of stuff, they're going to close mm. their doors because mm. we've got used to online shopping. Jesus Christ, mm. my better half, he fitted out his entire unit via looking at his computer. He didn't actually go into a shop or anything Has like that. Has he looked that. on it now? Does he, is Sorry? he doing it more than he did before in terms of that well, sort of thing? Well, yeah, he, mm. did it, he did it all. He yep. did it all via the computer. He'd never done that before. Yep. Even to the point now that he buys all his groceries and all that sort of stuff from Coles online. Mm. You mm. know, he still goes out and buys his fresh fruit and vegetables and meat, mm. but everything else just comes from our Coles. Is he spending more money or less? Probably less. Okay. Yeah. Mm. But no, he did spend a hell of a lot more money when he was fitting his place out, but now that it's fitted out, it's a, it's a lot mm. less. There's a lot of changed sort of um, customs and practices, people's shopping habits and mm. other things. You know, just leisure habits and other things mm-hmm. definitely changed. Mm. Anyway, it'll be interesting uh, to see what happens in 21. I, I mean, I didn't prepare any predictions or anything like that, but um, feel free to chip in one if you've got a prediction for 2021. Uh, only worker have sent out a message saying, welcome to the new normal. Um, mm. We're basically rolling out everything so you don't need to enter the office if you don't want to. Right. 
Yeah. So they are very much, we're saving a lot of rent. Mm. Um, why would we do that? If people want to work from home, why are we going to stop them? Mm. And I think that's going to be the new normal for a lot of people. Oh, I agree. I mean, um, you know, Trevor made the point that a few weeks, a few months ago now, I think he was talking about it, and he said, well, office four plans and that sort of stuff have gone to being from occupying five floors to now occupying two floors. Mm. And you've got people that hot desk and that sort of stuff, they arrive there if they've got it, if they, you know, they, they might have a set time and that sort of stuff that they're going to be in the office. So they go and they use their communal office for that time and they go home again. So it is one of the real benefits of this whole COVID-19 thing. Like, well, Paul, you don't How see is that it as a benefit. Because, because, well, people's lives are so... People spend a lot of time working, mm. and if you can do that at home without commuting and spend your lunch hour with your significant other or your children or, you know, like there's a lot of time wasted in commuting. And, oh, I agree with that part of it, and, but the part for the businesses mm. is going to be terrible. But, but, but for the businesses that can use that, well, for the businesses who are employing people and saving rent, that's okay. Mm. For the businesses who are in the CBD, mm. who are relying on those commuters, yep. bad. For the businesses who and have a coffee the, shop in... And all the little cafes, lunch shops, you know, that cater yep. to the... Um, yeah, you know, the in the CBD, CBD it's a problem. Workers. But then cafes and whatnot in the suburbs are actually doing really well mm. because people in the suburbs are still sure. heading out at lunchtime for a cup of coffee. So there's just winners and losers... But I think just the overall experience for people to be able to work from home more and not um, trudge in and commute all the time, it's great for society. The better I think- half. He's got two days a week at home. He spends Tuesdays and Thursdays at home and he rides in Monday, Wednesday and, and Friday. And is he happier? He is a hell of a lot happier, yeah. There we go. And I think the commute times are going to be shorter. Mm. Because it's less traffic. Less traffic. Mm. Yeah. So those who still have jobs will be happier. Those who don't have jobs Indeed. will be desperate. In, indeed. Yeah. We but, will find work. Yeah. Is, you know, yeah. Not is everyone, it? Scott. Yeah. I know, but I've I've had a hell of a lot of interviews. I've yeah. you know, just had a phone, I had two phone calls about jobs this afternoon. So. Well, well, I had a conversation with another friend of mine who's in the university sector mm. and, you know, he was really only a few years from retirement. He's looking around and, it's and he's be lost diff- his job, right? It's going to be difficult to find something. Yeah, the I'm role in, he was doing is gone. I'm in the and, same boat. I am very yeah. unlikely to find another mm. job. But then, you know, um, airline pilots, um, 57-year-old airline pilots are told you'll never fly again, that's stuff right. like that. It's so, terrible for a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. But it's... So one the happy of the, one ones of, are happier. One, but one of the benefits, you know, there's pluses and minuses, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, but yeah. it's really, really unfair to those who were negatively affected. But, you know, life's not fair, Um Oh, yeah. come on. Yeah. Don't you talk to the universe, Trevor, yeah, and, yeah. and just yeah. say, please be kind so, to me. As an example, my mother had um, costume hire shops where people would, hmm. for, co- for parties and things, oh, really? That's go in, get a costume, wear it, bring it back, they'd wash it, hang it up, and hire it to the next person. Yeah. Right? And it was quite a nice little De-louse business. It. Yeah, quite a nice little business. Well, guess what? The internet came along yeah. and people could buy an, an outfit yeah. from America. So costume hire businesses, kaput. Kaput, yep. And, you know, that was just what happens in progress and, 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 yeah, and oh, the world sure. changed. So yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's losers. But that's kind of a different thing. But you talked but, but there's about a lot of inter- lot of businesses lost out as the internet came in yes, with that sort of thing. But that, that was true yeah. long before the virus came along. I know, but I'm just saying that there are always 
shifts in business. Of course there are. Certain sectors do. Of course there are. The struggle, yeah, yeah and change. So, mm. But I still think a lot of the carnage was completely unnecessary. Yeah, well, I'll get to it, but we'll talk about, if you like, about lockdowns in the economy. And essentially the evidence is that the countries that locked down and control coronavirus have better performing economies than those that didn't. So the evidence is in on that. It's got a little right. bit of strategy. Probably depends on who's looking at it and how they interpret the statistics along with all kinds of st- other statistics. Yeah. You know? well, I'll, I'll, at, I'll rattle off four of them. You just got to look at studies Australia. You've got to look at Australia. I mean, we have not suffered as much as the United States or the United Kingdom or mm. France or Germany or anywhere like that. Mm. We have done better than all those economies. Mm. Now, that is because the government took the initiative very early and squashed it and that sort of stuff. Now, even Victoria, not, notwithstanding their outbreak, they got on top of it, they squashed it and they moved on. They so squashed people's lives at the same time. I don't think they squashed people's lives they at did, the same time. Scott, well, they, they squashed they a lot of people's yeah, they lives. They might have put people out of work and that sort of thing, but it was only a temporary problem. Mm. No, it isn't. That's the problem. It's not temporary. For some people, it's permanent, just mm. as Trevor and I were discussing. Mm. Mm. Well, the problem is you can't compare it with our choices were lockdown as opposed to everything the same as it was because everything the same as it was wasn't an option. Yes, it was. No, because there's a pandemic. So we couldn't say... It was a bad flu. We couldn't say... It was a bad flu. We couldn't say our option was just to carry on and it all would have been the same as normal. Many people would have stayed at home. The international travellers wouldn't have travelled. Yes, and and, and that's true. But it's not the same as banning everybody from traveling everybody wouldn't have stopped traveling some people would have stopped for sure out of out of caution or fear mm. but the fear was whipped up to a, a ridiculous level far beyond what was justified by what it was most do you think most people disagree with you look you know um, most people used to think the earth was flat trevor so that's really not the point uh, well it's interesting if i have an opinion and i'm in the minority i'm sort of conscious of it yeah so are you conscious am, that you're in a conscious. minority view or, Look, or not? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't go around talking about it all the time, obviously, yeah. but I'm not particularly secretive about my points of view if I, the subject comes up. I know, but as you're and, reading stuff, do you, do, you, do, do you think you have a minority view on this um, or not? Do you think you're in a majority? or I, do you know, In terms of Australia, an average Australian, do you think the average Australian agrees with you on this? I think there's a large minority that would agree with me. You do? Yeah. A large? Minority. Ah, okay. So majority Uh, disagree, but it's not that uh, big. I know in my own family, Mm -hmm. I I know among my circle of friends, a lot of them disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Some of them agree with me. I know Mm -hmm. in my own family, um, some of them certainly agree with me. Mm. And, you know, we don't obviously see each other very often. We see each other about once a year, but I exchange emails with one or two of them. And we have discussed this, and and they've told me, yeah, you know, they basically agree with me. Because we know from essential report surveys that we've looked at that basically 65, 70% of people have agreed with the lockdown strategy. That that sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah. so you'd agree with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the surveys show that. But that's not to say they're right, you know? No, but what they're really doing is just saying, do they think it's worked for them and for their community. Yeah, well, you know, as I've said before, 
Um, That's what public servants mm. didn't see any drop in income. Mm. Mm. A lot of professionals didn't see any, any drop in income. Mm. You know, a lot of I pe- did. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I said a lot. Mm. I didn't say all prof- professionals, but a lot of professionals would mm. have been working from home. Mm. I mean, it was just bad luck for you, Scott, that you actually lost your job. Mm. But if you hadn't lost your job, your income wouldn't have been affected. You would have been no, working it wouldn't from have been home, affected. right? It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have and been this affected. is my point. All those people who didn't lose their jobs, who were able to work at home or were employed mm. permanently, you know, who had secure of tenure, like public servants mm. and teachers and nurses and these sorts of people, they probably think the government did the right thing because it didn't personally damage their lives. Sure. But there are literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people mm. for whom the damage was significant, in many mm. cases profound. Mm. You know. but, but then you've got someone like Scott who lost a job yeah, but is still able to look at it and say, I think what the government did was correct, even though he lost well, his job. Well, he's entitled to his, his opinion. And there, there'd be a lot of people like that as well. And there, and, and there are probably mm. some people who mm. didn't lose their jobs who mm. would agree with me mm. simply because they read. Mm. And look, I've, you know, I listen to, mm. uh, I read widely, I listen mm. to podcasts, mm. and I've heard some extremely uh, mm. intelligent, mm. well-credentialed, well-educated people mm on podcasts, mm. who think it was mad, mm. absolutely mad, to lock the country down. And equally, even more well-credentialed people. Not more uh, creden- well-credentialed. There are a lot of well, really uh, well-credentialed uh, uh, people. High, high numbers of well-credentialed people yeah, say yeah. the complete opposite. Yeah, there that, are views that is one on of the, both sides. That, you know what? I reckon that's one of the big things to come out of this is previously it was what do the, ex- what do the experts say about something – and we all just fall in line with what the experts say. I don't think it's been as apparent on other issues until this one, where we've had such a divergence of a, it, a number of been, well-qualified experts who come out and saying completely the opposite. Yes, it's been interesting. I, I don't think we've had and that so on no, other issues. No so I think we have. I think we've ones? seen well-credentialed people uh, denying climate change. It's pretty like, small. Denying uh, climate change, I, do you think? Do yeah. You think I, I well-credentialed think so. people denying yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, there are... There um, are a few, I know. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think um, it's never been what does an expert think? An expert can be wrong mm. with the rest of people. Mm. That's right. It, it's what's what does the preponderance of evidence show? Mm. Um, and, and in terms of it being just a flu, um, I mean, this is pure anecdote, but I know an ER doctor in America... And the stories that she has, she is saying this is not just a flu. You just went really loud, or is that? Oh, maybe I got close. Mm, oh. And a lot of people are saying that, Joe, but others are saying is it's. That, and, and, is that still really loud on that? Is that okay? On it's yeah, it's okay. Okay, okay. sorry. Look, I, I heard a, um, I, I listened to a podcast, uh, and it was an interview with a Swiss epidemiologist, and this is a guy who developed. Uh, technologies for vaccines, for making vaccines and things like this. He's a very well-credentialed, very highly respected guy. He's a Swiss guy. And he said, look, it's really, not, you know, not much, not much different to the flu. But then you'll find another Swiss epidemiologist. He'll say the exact opposite. Yeah, but, but my point is we've got very highly regarded experts Mm. who disagree with the experts that but, you choose but, but to But we have to people who are sitting believe. in the labs going, oh, it's not a flu, and then, mm. oh, sorry, it is a flu. Uh, and then we have people who are actually in the hospitals who see mm. the carnage, the level of carnage. Look, mm. carnage is a very emotive term, Joe. So, well, what, what do you, you call know, people dying? 
I don't, I don't call it carnage. I call it death. If it's excessive? People die every year of the flu. Yeah, this I'm, is that, a fact. But not mm. 250,000 people in the United no, no, States no. die sorry, from the Scott, flu. I'm but sorry, Scott. I'm sorry, Scott. But you've got to look at the excess mortality rate from year to year. And it's really just a little blip. It really is just a little blip. Except people aren't travelling. And we know that roads kill people. <laughs> we, we know that the death rates from road accidents has, tri- is, has plummeted. Oh, well, it mm. should have, yes. Mm. But it hasn't, hasn't stopped completely, No, has no, it? no, it's plummeted. So, so when you say to, plummeted, what sort of proportion? Less? I'm not sure the the numbers, but there are a lot 10% less. Ten percent less? Oh, more than ten percent less. Twenty percent? I've no idea. Well, there's, but, there, but there I just find it a really strange argument to say, well, okay, three hundred thousand people have died in America of COVID. How many usually die of the flu in a but, year? How many? I don't know. I haven't checked. Well, this but, is your argument. You're the one making it. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, look, I'm, I'm, I didn't look at the but, statistics but, but for the say, United States. But, but, but say, I did. Look, I have seen graphs of a whole bunch of European countries, yeah. and the excess mortality is a blip. But, it's literally a blip. But can I tell and you? And in some this, cases, it's less. This seems like really stretching when you say, "Okay, I admit, three hundred thousand people died in America of COVID." But it's they not didn't a pro- die of COVID, they died with COVID, but and there is a difference. Well, let me get this statement out. The argument to me sounds like 300,000 people have died in America of COVID, but it's not really a problem because overall the death rate's not so bad. Look, well, that's, Trevor, that's, that's really Trevor, stretching no, 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 to sort of justify... No, you see, you're saying 300,000 300, people died of COVID, mm-hmm. and that's bullshit. Well, we all st- know that's bullshit. That's the statistic No, 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 no. They died get. with COVID. A lot of most of the people who die die of other other things. You know, they've already got other illnesses. And if you listen to deep throat, and most of them are old. If you listen to deep throat, mm. people who die of a heart attack have other comorbidities, which mm. are all listed on the death certificate. Good, but yeah. it's the heart attack that finishes them off. <laughs> so you, we we can't really discuss it if you're going to say the statistics that are offered for deaths by COVID we can't use. Like, is, did I say that? Well, you, you you are saying that because I'm saying 300,000 in America died of COVID and you you're saying they didn't. of COVID, but see... But that's the, what the statistics tell yeah, us. Yeah, because they list them as COVID deaths if they had COVID when they died. And you're saying... And we, COVID is probably unlikely to be the main cause of death unless, you know, and most of them are really, really old anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're susceptible to Yes, this. old people are susceptible to the and, flu every year. Yeah. And does the flu kill them when they say that they die of the flu? Probably. But you're not prepared flu. to say COVID kills them. So you're prepared to say no, no, COVID, I, no, the I flu is say, responsible no, for I these deaths. No, I said they died with COVID, Trevor. But when you said earlier, when you said people died, how many people died of the flu? If you say 300,000 You're prepared people, to say then the flu was killing them, but you're not prepared to say that COVID's killing them. If you say 300,000 people died of COVID, it sounds like these are perfectly healthy people. No. And along comes COVID and no. suddenly go, they go from pristine no. health to dead. No. And it's, it's not like it's, that. It's saying COVID and tipped the same them over. Thing, same thing happens every year with influenza. It just seems like a really shaky argument well, to say, I admit all these people have died, but it's really not a problem because when you look at overall morbidity, uh, it's not so bad. Look, just, what I'm saying is... It's a nonsensical argument. No, it isn't. What I'm saying is that if, if, you're, if you are going to use uh, morbidity as an argument for shutting down a country, 
Mm. You know, every time a bad influenza comes along, mm. you're going to be shutting down the country nearly every year, or at least every five or so years when something like so COVID-2 okay. comes along. Daniel saying 22,000. US flu deaths last season, 10 times as many have died from COVID in, the, in 12 months. So I if that's true, does that ruin your argument? Not necessarily, because we haven't seen the, the, the uh, statistics for overall morbidity in the United States year by year, have we? You know, no, you do. You have to look at it year after year after year and, and, and chart it to see if this is a huge blip on the really, graph. I find it a really strange argument to Why say is it strange? that COVID isn't the problem people are making out because lives have been saved through other areas, is what you're saying. I'm not saying that. Because you're saying the overall morbidity rate yeah. is the same as it was before and you're saying that you're acknowledging that there are deaths from COVID. Mm-hmm. With so, COVID. So you're saying there's a balance where somehow we've, we've avoided deaths through other means. So you're saying it's not a problem. You're saying, look, at Trevor, at the overall morbidity yep. rate and you're sort of excusing the COVID problem by saying the overall morbidity is fine. It doesn't make sense to say I, I'm sorry, COVID's not a problem because... Argument, but what I will say, if you look at the statistics for the, for the Scandinavian countries, okay, mm. you guys were on about how Sweden did so much worse than the other Scandinavian countries. Mm. But in fact, in 1919 uh, flu season, fewer people died in Sweden and more died in, in Norway, Denmark and, and Finland. And then... Along, you know, so in fact, Sweden had more old people who had survived that season, and they were carried off this time. Whereas the ones in Norway, who who weren't who were carried off last year, they didn't have this sort of excess number of old people who missed out last so time. So you're saying it had nothing to do with the with the difference in shutdown and lockdowns between nothing the countries? at all. <laughs> well, absolutely nothing. The world disagrees with you. Not all of the world, Trevor, and this is what I'm telling you. I think on this one, I think 95% disagree with you on this one. I think the 5% that um, you're looking at... I don't know where you get 95%. Okay, if it's 95% disagree with you and 5% agree with you, I think... I don't know where you're getting 95%. I'm just taking that as an example that Trevor Mm. said. You're just making it up. I know, okay, fine. The minority that do agree with you come from Fox News, Sky News, Spiked, The Spectator, and all those right-wing nonsense garbage people that you've got to stop reading. Who is this guy? (laughs) Not right-wing conservative. I thought Scott was my friend. I am your friend. No, you're saying... You, you suddenly, out of the blue, right. you're attacking the spectator, spiked as right wing garbage. Yeah. Nobody at spiked is right wing. Uh, let me tell you. I know Trevor is convinced they are, but yeah. Trevor has got these left right blinkers on all the time and he can't see outside, you know, outside of them. Sorry, but one, Trevor, that's. One of us can't see. By the way, there's a Do you know all the people who work for Spike? They're all old lefties. They're old look, lefties. Look, Graham Richardson is an and old young, lefty. And young Graham lefties. Richardson is an old lefty, but he's on Sky he's News. He's on Sky News, spruiking like look. You know. I'm, I'm telling you, I do not watch Sky News. He's the former Labor uh, leader who's now Mark on, Latham. Mark Latham is an old lefty. He is, and he's now he's now with Pauline Hanson's crew. I'm, I'm sorry, but yeah. you and I went to hear Mark Latham at a public lecture. Absolutely, once you we may did. Recall. We did. Yeah, we mm. did, and that was quite a good public lecture. But the guy's lost it since then. <laughs> he, he may well have, but let me tell you, I do not listen to Sky News. Mm. 
I listen to very smart, very well-educated, bright people from around the world, okay? They're not right-wing nutjobs. Basically, the entire world has concluded that when they have outbreaks and the infection rate increases and they get second and third waves, that to control it, they have to go into lockdowns. No. Basically, that's what every country is doing. except guidelines. Except for Sweden, which is even Sweden is now doing it. Like every country... Korea, all of them. Yeah, as they're they getting followed China. Why would they follow the as, fucking Communist as, Party of China? So ev- basically, every country around the world, oh. as, they, as they're getting these they extra panicked, waves... Trevor. They all panic. But here's my point. You say they all panicked? Yes. But here's my point. That's what every country's doing. The only one that didn't was Sweden, and they're doing it. They're doing it now. Like, this is the, by yeah, far the majority uh, yeah. view. They've, they've clearly... So all some, of these countries... Somebody's, somebody's but, lost their nerve in Sweden. I don't know why. But, but the, the guy who so, designed their, their, their program, he hasn't changed his mind. I've read interviews with him. He hasn't changed anything. The government has changed their mind, maybe. But, in fact, they're not in hard lockdown anyway. They've, they've put in some, some extra restrictions, but it's not a lockdown. Well, previously they said to people, we trust you to do the right thing. You can go to bars, you can and, go to restaurants. And, 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 and now stuff. they've been a bit more um, authoritative about it uh, as to what can go on. But still but nowhere near locked down. Still nowhere near Japan what, didn't lock down. Still nowhere Trevor. near what... Japan didn't lock down. Japan is a very different right. culture, though. Right. But, but, but Paul, what difference does it make? Paul, a virus Paul, doesn't respect but, culture. But, but, but Paul, you're not suggesting that. Well, you are suggesting that lockdowns don't actually stop the spread of the virus. They don't. That we know eventually that, the but, virus but, will do what the virus but, will but do. Eventually, yeah. but you will but, acknowledge then that it will slow down the spread of a virus. Look, I'll acknowledge that if you lock somebody up in a hermetically sealed yep. building, yep, and keep them there, yep. Yeah, the virus will have a hard time getting in. Yep. So as you, soon as you open the door and let them okay. out, they're exposed to it. So when we look at Victoria, do you look at that and say... That was a disaster. Do you, but do you, you're saying a disaster economically. But do you in look every at, way. But do you look at it and say, okay, from your point of view, the lockdown was unnecessary, you say, and a Absolutely. terrible thing for the economy. It was a mistake. But do you acknowledge that it was the lockdown that stopped the spread of the virus, so that's why Victoria has it zero... It didn't stop the spread of the virus, clearly. So, so how but, did the but, virus go how, away? How did it go from 700 cases to zero? I, I guess it's just doing what a virus does, you know. It infected and, and, and took away the people it was going to take. I don't know. I'm and, not an epidemiologist. Hang on. And the rest this of the is world. really important. You, you don't think that the lockdown in Victoria is what's responsible for bringing it from 700 cases a day to zero. Look, we'll see in the, in the next you, you, flu you, season. You, we'll see what happens. You know, the virus no, hasn't no, gone away. But we don't away. have to see. We don't have to wait. The virus you, hasn't gone away. No, but I'm not, I'm not asking you about next year. I'm asking you about the last couple of months in Victoria. You don't think the lockdown was responsible for stopping the spread of infection and bringing the caseload from 700 to zero. You don't think it, it, it did that? It, it, it probably you, had an effect of some sort, yes. You don't think it was 100% responsible no, for that? No, I don't. You, you don't think... It had an effect, you don't for think sure. isolating people and stopping social contact and quarantining people who had it, you don't think that actually stopped the spread of the virus in Victoria? It had an effect. What, what else? But in the, in, the, in the long run, Trevor, I don't think it was the, the right thing to do. I, I, no, 
I, 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 that's a totally different question as to you with the civil liberties and economy issues, and we can talk yes. about all that. And but that I just, was a fucking disgrace. Yeah. Well, I disagree with you 100%. But Really? Yeah. So stripping but, people of their civil liberties but was before, not a disgrace. But before we even get to that, can we just have the admission that the lockdown actually did what it was supposed to do in terms of stopping the infection in Victoria and brought it back to zero? Can we at least acknowledge that I, it did that? I think it may have. Because like, there's no point going further if we it? can't even discuss that. This is why it couldn't keep going with was, because we can't talk about... The economic effects and all of the pros and cons, if we can't get over this first hurdle of did the lockdown actually achieve, Around the in world, your words, no. at great cost, no. but you're not prepared to accept that? I can't go not any further really. on. Then not I can't really. make my other arguments because they all yes, rely on that premise because it's about a balancing act. So if you don't accept the premise that the lockdowns brought it down to zero... Then my it arguments bring it down to zero. Th- then my arguments about the cost and benefits. You're, you're discounting what I say is a big benefit because you were saying that just didn't, that wasn't a benefit of the lockdown. So we can't argue the pros and cons because you're refusing to accept one of the big pros of a lockdown that I want to rely on. Yes. So it, there's no point us discussing and weighing it up because you. I, what, I, I can see that. that it had an effect, yes, well, why, because people were staying at home. But why, I, why, I, don't, I don't think it necessarily got rid of the virus because we all know the virus do, is still do, out do there. Do you think without the lockdown it, it would have just disappeared? No, I think it would have continued going through the population. Okay, so you think the lockdown stopped it? I think it, it, uh, it changed the dynamics of it for sure. Well, what's the problem in saying the lockdown? You, you actually don't think we know that it's transmission... Of, of particles in the air. This, yeah. I, I, I don't understand exactly. why. You can still maintain all of your arguments about it being unfair and unnecessary and a disaster and yeah. we could move on to all that. Yeah. I don't understand why we can't get this initial... Because I don't agree with you, Trevor. But, but it's Do so, I have to agree with you? Well, it seems so obvious that it seems so conclusive that Victoria brought it down to zero because of a hard lockdown. Well, look, when you look at a country like Taiwan, okay, they yeah. didn't go into hard lockdown. They had fewer than 10 deaths. What happened there? Yeah, because they closed their border and that sort of stuff. They, got the, they had their contact tracing and everything all lined up, whereas Victoria Why confuse it with some other example and why pluck because, another country? Because you're saying if, it, if, if this was the effect of lockdown in Australia, then it must be the effect of lockdown everywhere. No, and no, we've no, no seen, I just want to deal with Victoria. And we've seen I just, that I just want to in deal countries with, that didn't lockdown didn't have as many deaths the, as Victoria. The, the, there's all sorts, so I would say we don't really understand the circulation of this but, virus but we that do, well. We do. Do you think? Yes. I don't think that's true. We know how it's transmitted. I don't think they know perfectly well how it's transmitted. They know they understand it to some degree, but they certainly don't have a perfect understanding of how They've it's got transmitted. A very good understanding. Well, and, and a lot of and, and our medical. So you just reject, so why in Taiwan? But no, and, they, and the no, no, virus no, no, no. did enter the country. I'm happy to talk about other and countries. They had fewer than ten deaths. I'm happy to talk about other countries after we get past Victoria because. And, because I know the facts of Victoria really well, and we all know the facts of Victoria really well. We, we don't all know the facts of Taiwan and Korea and et cetera. And given notice, I'll look it up. But we all know the facts of... Um, of I've just lost my... Um, yeah. Yeah. Are we still on? I've got chat on yeah. the stream. I've here. lost my chat. I don't know what happened. I've lost my screen. I'm, 
sorry, dear listeners, we've lost our chat on the, on the screen I'm looking at. But, Paul, happy to talk about all those other countries. But, Good. but spread of the, of the virus through human transmission, it's mm-hmm. not an unusual concept. No, it's, it's not an unusual it's, concept. It's a fairly accepted concept for a lot of communicable diseases. Yep. But it's an imperfectly understood phenomenon. But we've got a pretty good grip of it. You'd have pretty to good, say. but imperfect. Because no, but, if you but, look at different countries, no, no, but, uh, and different, well, seriously, I mean, if if you if you're so insistent that lockdown did what you say it did ex- in Victoria, explain to me how it happened. If it why wasn't the lockdown, did they have so f- fewer deaths in other countries where they didn't lock but down? Give me one reason how it happened. If it wasn't the lockdown, I don't know. Well, I can't answer that question. But I give you one and, and you, you... Because you think you have the answer. It's a pretty good reason to think that's the answer. Okay, yeah. you, you, you believe it. I don't. How, how about a that's hypothesis a... for Korea, mm-hmm. which is they've been through SARS, they know about social distancing, they followed the rules. And look, it's also... Australians been... don't because they haven't been through it, they haven't seen the death rates... And therefore, a lockdown was required to get them to social distance. Well, that's one hypothesis. But look, you know, other people have hypothesised that because Korea and and Japan and Taiwan are closer to China, and because they probably uh, are exposed to more of these exotic viruses on a regular basis, that there's more sort of you know what is loosely called herd immunity in the. In the population. Paul, Paul, can I just say that the thought that lockdown didn't stop the transmission in Victoria, bring it from 700 to zero, is an extremely radical view. Like, If you want to say so. You, you don't think it is? I don't. You think that... It was actually thoughts and prayers. You, you don't think that... Very funny. You, don't, <laughs> you, you, you think a significant number of other people would agree with you on this? I've heard... Very smart, well-credentialed people say to me that lockdown was just a waste of time. Because it did not... Not because they thought it was um, economically wrong. For a range of reasons. Uh, Okay, but people might have said it was wrong because they thought it was against their freedom, that other things would have done the job if they'd have been tried, blah, blah, blah. But did they actually say that the lockdown wasn't responsible for the transmission. I don't bring... recall, to be honest. Because so, that's what I think. When you hear people say a negative comment about a lockdown, I think they'd be talking about they think it was not worth the cost. But they That's a big part of it, But they sure. wouldn't be saying it didn't actually do the trick. That would be a really extreme... I'd have extreme... to go back and listen to them again, to be that honest. That would be a really extreme view. Well, really you can view. describe it as an extreme view, but, you know, there you go. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the the global situation, there's no strong evidence that lockdown really made a lot of difference. I'm it's sorry. enormous evidence that it has. Yeah, well, you know the evidence, evidence that you choose to believe. Every so every you, study I've seen, no, I haven't seen a study that 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 proves the opposite. Everything, every study I've seen basically either agrees with the statement I've just made or talks about something else. Yeah. And look, we're probably just going to talk around in circles. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, you have your view. Yeah. I have a different one. Yeah. And, you know, it's got, it really shocked me just 
blithely dismissing all those publications as right-wing garbage. That is really a narrow-minded attitude, I have to say. I think, I think Spectator is, if, if we're talking Spectator... I think there is, are there are writers that are I think definitely right on, on the on the right of centre. They, they have no respect for truth. Oh, that's bullshit, Trevor. That they, is absolute crap. They they allow writers to refer to reports and totally misrepresent what the report's oh. saying. So I don't think they're. I don't think they can be trusted. Oh, oh God. Okay. And, Look, and I, I will I'm, say that Spectator is is is, I mean, is not a newspaper. Okay, let's let's yeah. be clear on this. Mm. The Spectator is is not a daily newspaper. They don't report the news. Mm. It's mm. an opinion journal. Okay, mm. so they invite a whole bunch of people mm. to that. pick a topic and give their opinion. So mm. it's basically an opinion journal. So if you mm. say it's mm. garbage. Mm. All you're saying really is that their opinions are garbage and you're no, welcome no, to hold that opinion. No, I'm saying they're untruthful oh. and they're liars. They're liars? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I, I think they're liars. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of their reporters oh, will pluck a report and say, this report says that masks... That's a really big statement but, but, to say uh, they're all liars. No, I haven't said they're all, all liars, I'm, but... Um, well, I wouldn't say every them? article is. How many of them are liars? Enough that I wouldn't trust anything in oh, there. Jesus. More than, more than just an incidental spiked? number. Do you read Spiked on any regular basis? Before we move on from Spiked, from Spectator because to Spiked. Because you seem to lump them together, and obviously they're completely separate no, publications. No, I just actually stopped you and said, before we talk about Spiked, I'll deal with Spectator, uh-huh. because I deal with them separately. Okay. So, the Spectator, editor is Rowan Dean. Yeah. Mr. Hydroxychloroquine. Look, you like, know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Rowan Dean, but I don't read Rowan Dean. Yeah. Well, he's the editor. Yes, he's, but he's, he doesn't control what they all write. He picks it. He, he, he might he, have favourite writers, but mm, he doesn't mm, sit there mm, uh, standing over their shoulder and say, no, mm, no, 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 change that phrase. I don't like that. Yeah. It doesn't work like that, Trevor. No, no but you, you go to Spectator and try and write an article that's um, contrary to his views and see how you get on. Well, but maybe. Anyway, now when it comes to Spiked, yeah. slightly better publication <laughs> than Spectator. And again, but, it's an opinion but, journal. But Spiked, it's not a newspaper. But uh, Spiked is totally obsessed with wokeness and finds wokeness everywhere. And I yes. agree. This is the one thing that we agree on. And that's on. one thing I like about them, yeah. is they're ruthlessly critical yeah. of this woke but, bullshit. But they're basically a one-trick pony. No, it's, they're not. It's, no, it's they're large. not. That's... That's really they're not the true. Opposite of the Guardian. Yeah. Yeah. That that shows that you really don't read Spike. Trevor. I, I it's to, not a one-trick pony at it, all. It, they stand up for all kinds of truth. Okay, it, they are people who are looking for truth. Whether it's yeah. truth about uh, you know leftist academia, or whether it's the the threat to like free this. speech and civil liberties in the United Kingdom, especially, mm. they're very very strong on civil liberties and free speech. And I no, absolutely applaud they've, they've them. They've never mentioned anything about Julian Assange. Yes, what, they have. Well, well, they've never in come spite, out. They've never come out in defence of Julian sh- Assange. Well, they may not have defended him, but well, I think no, it's they've actually come out against him. They've never and said he's an idiot. Well, not when, an idiot. When you but, say they, yeah. which particular writers? Pro- um, who's the writer who went the the, the fall of Europe? Um, that um, Douglas Murray. Yeah, he did. Well, he's entitled to his opinion, isn't he? He is, but I'm saying to you, you're saying that Julian Assange is not as pure as the driven snow. I think you'd agree. But if you're really pro-free speech and anti-authoritarian, 
Okay. You'd had some good words for Julian okay. Assange. I'll, I'll tell you something. And, and Douglas well, Murray was, you know, basically said he got what he deserved. Well, Douglas is entitled to his point of view. Yep. So, so for that, for, for, for the fact that, that mm. Douglas Murray said that, you mm. hate Spiked. Uh, no. Because he's not even I've a regular pl- writer. I've just I mean, plucked that out as an example. He's an occasional writer on Spiked. I've just plucked that out yeah. as an example. Okay. I did contact yeah. uh, that, that journalist who writes for Spectator Australian. And I yeah. asked him specifically about Julian Assange. Yeah, what did they say? Not they. He, oh, he. Just yeah. one writer. And yeah. he, again, he's just an occasional writer as well. And I won't mention his name, but yeah. anyway, he's one of the regular, not regular, irregular yeah. writers for... Yeah. Uh, and I asked him and he said he, said he has kind of mixed, mixed feelings about Assange. He, he's sort of... You know, he can see that, yeah, there is, a, there is a, an argument for Julian Assange's free speech, but he said Julian Assange, in his opinion, acted very irresponsibly and, and should have been much more cautious about what he published in, in terms of releasing classified information that he claimed led to people's deaths. No, no, nobody died as well, a result. how do you know? It was said at the trial of Chelsea Manning by the Department of Justice and the Army, they had admitted that nobody was injured or died as a result of the leaks. Okay. The so it's thing- actual evidence in the courts in America when they're trying to nail Chelsea Manning. The other mm-hmm. thing was uh, apparently The Guardian had the password to yeah. the file that was published on the internet but was yeah. heavily encrypted. Yeah. Uh, and they decided that they were going to be smart asses and publish so, it in a book. So the Guardian pre-released some of it. Okay. Yes, they were, they were and, and, and yeah, Julian yeah, Assange. Where did really, the Guardian get it from? They, they, they coerced it or persuaded Julian Assange to give it to them. Yeah. Okay, but, but, but Julian anyway, Assange does ha- hold some responsibility for that information. And, and he said nobody realised it had been leaked. It was up to him to release the information as quickly as possible, so that the relevant people could get out of the way. Yeah before other people realised and found that information. He said to make it as public as possible was the only way that these people would get the message before the security services came looking for them. And and I accept that. But, look, I'm I'm just relaying what this particular writer said to me, if if I've recalled what he said correctly. And, look, I have mixed feelings about Assange too. I don't particularly like the man. But at the same time, I I think it is really over the top for the United States to be sticking out their long arm of justice to every corner of the, of the earth and hauling people in for, mm. for trial. I don't agree with that. Mm. Okay. And you would think that Spiked would have come out with something if they're such... Given all of their other talk, it, it, it's a remarkable omission. All right, I might write to Spike mm. and, and, and ask him mm. about it mm. because I find the writers of Spiked... Mm. On the whole, generally, I find they're, they're mm. very, very good and I find myself agreeing with their opinions mm. most of the time. Mm. Not 100%, but, you know, a good bit of it. Mm. I find a lot of their stuff is exaggerated straw-manning. So, How often do you read it? Ah, well, from what we've just said, wouldn't you think I've got a reasonable knowledge of Spiked? Not necessarily. Cause I was you... able to pluck out Douglas Murray. I was able to talk about Assange. I've got a pretty good knowledge of what goes on in Spiked based on how the often, last five minutes. How often do you read so, it, though? So you're, I, I, I don't th- time I think, myself. I think you're extrapolating right. from one or two writers right. across the whole journal, mm. and I don't mm. think that's really fair. Mm. All right. We'll agree to disagree. Again. Well, <laughs> I'm probably placed in that uh, in that. 
category two then, Paul, so mm. I apologise for mm. what I said about your favourite articles. Thank you. Apologies. No accepted. All right. Because I read Spiked almost every day. I'll you know have a look at it, and if there's a, a piece that catches my attention... Mm. You'll share it on mm. Facebook. Mm. I often do, because oh, no. I, I really like the way they are really uninhibited about critiquing things and particularly things that I find important. As I, I said, free speech. I, I think they beat things up too Civil much. liberties. I don't mm. think they beat them up mm. at all. Mm. Have, uh, do, have you read mm. what the, the new I, law I, I in I actually Scotland read it is? a lot because I read your posts on Facebook. Oh, do you read them? <laughs> yes. Well, that's so, so I read that's something. We so might there you make go. some progress. So how often do you post spiked on your Facebook page? Every day. No, it's not every day, but if... Every day that I find something that I like, well, I'll, there you go. I I'll read them. It. So you are, you're wondering Do you how read often? Them really? Yeah. Oh, I just you, you, assumed you just sort of go, oh, spiked. Fuck that. Well, I look, <laughs> I look through it and I go, oh, there's another exaggeration and another straw meaning. So, no, I'm in the same boat. I read them every day. I read them whenever you, whatever Do you, you really? no, whatever you post, I read. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's and, nice then, to know. and then shake and, your head. But Thank I, you, Scott. I do shake my head a fair bit. Yes. yes. And I also still listen to <laughs> Brendan O'Neill. He is great. Brendan no, O'Neill. he's not. No, but he's, he's great. No, he's not. He's. I do listen to him and that sort of stuff, but I just end up shaking my head. I almost threw my phone at the wall the other day. Mm. You know, he's got... <laughs> I'd like to see that. He's got exactly the same... Opinion about everything. It's a one-trick pony. Oh, how he? could he? Well, he does. He always he's always on about Brexit and that sort of stuff. And how yeah. that was the greatest opinion. That was the greatest move by the British public ever. I agree with him. Well, I don't. I know, I know, I, and I'm I'm aware that you, you didn't know, I, think Brexit was a good thing. I thought it was a terrific thing. Well, I honestly believe. Like me and about half were talking about this the other day. Now he said to me a very good point. He said, you know, what was her name? The British Prime Minister before Bojo. Sorry, Theresa May, yeah. yeah. He reckoned the way Theresa May should have handled it and that sort of stuff is she should have come back from Brussels and that sort of thing and said, we've spent 12 months trying to negotiate with these pricks. They're not interested, so I'm going to put this open to the people again. Again? Yeah. Yes. No, you they could... already voted they yeah, wanted know, Brexit. But they... You don't hold a referendum and then when everybody says, yes, let's leave, and then you say, oh, but were you sure? Exactly. That's, that's not how referendums operate. That's exactly the whole point. You've got to actually offer them the opportunity to vote in it again, and this time they are voting for a hard Brexit with no negotiation with Europe or to remain in. That is the whole point. They were put up there. It was put up there saying we will negotiate something with the, yeah. with the European Union. But look. And the negotiations have failed. Yes, but that's the economic negotiations um, mainly. And I, I know there are other things, you know, European law. And, but look, the main thing about Brexit for me was sovereignty, national sovereignty. And the European Parliament was increasingly taking away the, the right of the British people to make their own laws. I agree. And that is, that is and probably... And that was the big thing for me, you know. And that The was... European Parliament was just becoming a bureaucracy that, you know, took over people's lives and told them what to do. And it was becoming increasingly woke on, at the same time. Exactly. You know, and you've got Angela Merkel there who will never accept that Germany lost the Second World War. What? You know, she will never accept that Germany <laughs> lost the Second World War. And I will say that quite publicly. And if I ever meet her, I'll say it to her face. But... You know, you've got to... That's an interesting comment. No, she won't. She won't accept that Germany lost the war. And she is actually over there in trying to impose the German will on the European continent. 
and she saw Britain and that sort of stuff as being a pain in the ass and that type of thing. I reckon Britain should have remained in there and just been an absolute pain in the ass. And, and recruited the French. Exactly. Because the French and the Germans hate each other. Exactly. Still? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, they hate each other. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. They really that. despise one another. So. Oh, they don't so much at the government level, though, do they? Like Mike, Ron and um, Merkel get along, don't they? I don't know, but I know that there is uh, a great deal of mistrust and that Germany and France are the big power merchants of the EU. Exactly. And, and both are worried that the other will take over Europe. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's doomed, yeah. frankly. The well, I think the European Union is probably doomed, too. Well, well actually, you know, the UK had control of its own currency. So that was a big difference with the other countries. Exactly. So here's what's going to happen is in order to trade with the EU, the UK is now going to basically have to comply with all of their regulations. Not necessarily. But they, well, because the EU won't let their products in Unless they do. Oh, I see. Their their product regulations. Yes. Yeah, but the EU will no longer be able to tell the the British, you know, uh, about their civil liberties because it was. It was increasingly encroaching upon British civil liberties. So so essentially what will happen is in order to sell their products and do business in the EU, they're going to have to comply with EU regulations. Yeah, but that's just things like, you know, packaging and measurements and... Whole range Stuff of things like comes to things like subsidies. If the government wants to promote an industry, mm, possibly, then the EU will say, "Well, that industry is not allowed in here because it's getting an unfair subsidy from the government." Mm. So, but the, the so EU subsidises industries yeah, too, exactly. Yeah. But the problem with the UK is that they will now have to comply with EU rules, but they won't get a say in what those EU <laughs> rules are. So I think it's a it's, it's a, so a that's what's going to happen. If that's the price, I think it's a price worth paying just to get their you know their right to make their own laws again. Yeah, well, uh, some, I don't know about that. Someone someone like uh, Greece needs to be out of the EU because it doesn't control the currency. If mm. if Greece had its own currency, stay in the EU. But basically, the UK had its own currency still, so mm. it was in the sweet position. It, Portugal has actually kept all their banknotes in the mm. in the in the um, in the vaults, vaults have exactly. they? In case they need them, in case they need them, because they are able to, they are able to get out of the euro very quickly. Mm. Because all they got to do is they got to have a they got to just shut down the cash and that sort of thing. Yeah. They got to say right, and they make the announcement. And they say, look, mm. in two days' time when you go to the ATM, you're going to get squeedos out. Squeedos. You're not going to get the euros. Call squeedos. Yeah, exactly. So they've got them all there yeah. and that sort of stuff. They Sounds just, like a seafood. Well, all they've got to do is just they, they just say, look, for every euro we'll give you two squidos or whatever it is, yeah. and then they can just start the yeah. fresh and that sort of thing. I've, mm. I've got a feeling, and I, you know, I don't really know, but I think over the next five to ten years there'll be other countries leaving the EU. Oh, I think so too. Uh, Already I, Poland and, and Hungary and, have you know, and, and I, I had think, a gut for Again, I think they should... A lot of them should leave because they don't have their own currency, so they're locked in. But if they had their own currency, like the UK, they mm. should probably stay in. But the French and the Germans gave up their own currency. Yeah, and they may regret it. They may be ones who leave because of that. Mm. I don't know. But um, yeah. currency is, dear listener, the big issue that will... <laughs> when the world collapses and calamity really strikes home and it all goes to shit and the US ends up in a civil war and... Mm. and Currency will play a big role in all of this. Mm. It's um, it's 
it's a key part in the whole... How much gold bullion have you got stocked away? Because, I mean, you look at it now, zero or negative interest rates, uh, the US is printing money like a banana republic and Mm. has done for years. Mm. And a lot of its security comes from oil contracts, which are in US dollars, and as the Mm. world increasingly moves away from oil... And as other countries like China, Russia and Iran and whatever start dealing in their own currencies, the demand for US dollars is going to go down and that's what will eventually do them in. Is I the don't currency think Iranian issues. currency will be worth much in the near future. No, but they're, you know, it's, it's all part of these countries being able to work without US dollars. So, they were looking at euros for a while. I don't right. know if they're still looking at euros. Yeah. So, um, the Iranians? Yeah. Oh, um, just it was becoming a de facto second. Global currency. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, the so. euro is probably quite a, a strong currency, mm. so as that goes. But. Just well, before we do go, the um, you brought up the civil war. Did yep. you see the uh, Republican governor of Texas saying that the 17 states that tried to get the um, vote thrown out, they should just form their own country? <laughs> he said that? He doesn't, didn't say that. Doesn't, really? Doesn't surprise me. Wow. Um, somebody said that the AG who led the charge to the Supreme Court to get the things overthrown uh, actually has federal investigations ongoing and has been under investigation for five years and is hoping for a Trump pardon. And investigations for what? For, I think, fraud. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. A state AG, was it? So he ran yes. hard on the issue, hoping to get a, get a pardon. Basically. And did you guys catch that, the that news? That would make sense. I, I heard in, in the car radio on the way over that um, Barr mm-hmm. has just been Has sacked. resigned. No, he resigned. Yeah, sure. Right. Okay. With one month to go. One mm. month. Mm. And, yeah. and Trump has sucked, sacked his attorney general and replaced him with a new guy who's going to have the job for about a month. Mm. It's, out. it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> dear, dear listener, we've really gone off track here. We have. It's, it's almost an hour. We're just we being started. very self-indulgent here because, hey, it's the last one of the year, so we should be wrapping up some of our old arguments or okay. rehashing them. What the heck? So, Because um, I've got a list, as I normally do, and we didn't even get to agenda item number one. <laughs> hey, before we get on that, yeah. agenda point five. <laughs> Did you gents see my uh, email this morning about the photo that was taken outside yes. the front of the Queensland yeah. Parliament? Yes. Yes. Now. Please um, describe it. Okay. We had a rather large Christmas tree up the top. And then on the ground level, you had a nativity scene. I don't have a problem with the Christmas tree because that's just a throwback to paganism and that sort of shit. But the nativity scene was over the top. I thought it was way too much. It was way mm. too assigned to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, gents, what are your feelings on it? I, I think I quite like the black Jesus. I think I, they're yeah. all black. Yeah, okay, they were black, which mm. is probably the most mm. ra- is probably the most historical, historically accurate, accurate depiction. exactly. Even yeah. the sheep were black. Mm. Did you notice? Were they? <laughs> right. Yes, that was a black face sheep. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Only the donkey wasn't black. But, but I can see the ACL <laughs> objecting, right? And that's why I think it's a good thing. Mm. Well, I don't think they'll object. I think the Satanists will object. The ACL was objecting because to the colour. That's yeah, just I think so. discrimination. <laughs> it is discrimination. I agree mm. wholeheartedly with them. It is, mm. you know, it's like I said, Christmas tree is just a throwback to paganism and that sort of shit. But the nativity scene was a genuine reflection of Christianity. The Noosa Temple of Satan have got so many actions to kick off in January. 
that we'll just add it to the list. We'll go we'll, for it. Yeah. yeah. We'll be at the um, New South Wales Greens. There was a speech that the secular uh, lobby put out today. Right. Um, basically saying how a prayer, a Christian prayer at the beginning of state parliament was um, disenfranchising a large number of the constituents. The Greens said that. Yeah. I'll vote Green, Paul. Look, the Greens have long taken mm. that line, mm. haven't they? And mm. I'll, I'll give them credit for that, but that mm. only. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So New South yeah, Temple of Satan is definitely going to run that early in the year. But my main objection to the Greens is they are more than happy to bag Christianity, which I agree wholeheartedly with them on, but they honestly do run into the open arms of the Muslims. Yes. They give them a free pass. Exactly. And they completely ignore all the shit that's written in the Koran mm. and they just ignore it. And at the same time, you've got that screaming harpy from South Australia. What's her name? Hanson Young. Hanson Young. He's out there saying about women's rights and all that sort of shit, but then she's over there bending over backwards for Muslims. Sorry. <laughs> bending over backwards, yeah. What's an example of the bending over backwards for Muslims? But, yeah, but they're brown people, so but, we have to... But, but what's, what's an example? I can't think of an exact actual example, so I'll have to go away and do oh, some homework okay. on that. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During the, um, the boat people... Um, Business, you know, where that we had going for years and years and years. Anything more recent? Uh, well, I, I just well, Hanson Young. You mentioned Hanson Young. She wanted to open the borders and let all comers land. Right. That was that was what she wanted. Okay, but that's not a pro-Muslim. Well, tick, most of those tick. arriving were yeah, but that, from Muslim countries. But that's not that's not a pro-Muslim. It's not a pro-Islam. Just give me, give me an example exactly, of what you were just talking about. Okay, there is a member of the Greens. I can't think what she is, what, what, whether she's a New South Wales senator, is she? Which one? He's a Muslim. Is uh, Walid Ali's wife. Sorry? Walid Ali's wife. No, but she's not a politician. She's not a Green, she's not a green politician, is no. she? Oh, no, she's Labour. Who? Uh, somebody Ali. Oh, yes. And Ann Ali. She's a Western Australian yes. Labour MP, yes. Yeah, she might be South Australian. Or she, I think anyway. she's WA. I think okay. she's WA. Right. But, um, but, but, like, I mean, if, 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 that's, if this is such a thing by the Greens, it should be easy to come up with an example. Well, I can't look, think, I think of an example right now. That's so my, I've got that's to go, my, yeah, yeah, that's no, the point I've got I'm to go home do, do, do but some research. But I think research. Scott is generally right that they do really uh, give a free pass to anybody except white Christians. Just give me an example. Well, we'll, I look, we'll I look have for, to dig them up. Because I, I look for these things. Yeah. And I haven't found one? Well, I haven't discussed it on this podcast in the last two or three years okay. where the Greens have given a, a pass or a green light to, in an exceptional way, to Islam. So Okay, we'll I have can't. to do our research on mm. that, Scott. We'll mm. come back to you in a month when we come back together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Do some digging. Yep. Um, anyway, that was leading into our first item, which was the Queensland Parliament, should they be praying at the start of every day? <laughs> Shall I continue? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> there was a petition by some guy who said it was a breach of Section 116 of the Constitution, but I don't think it is. No. Um, and then there was a competing um, petition by Wendy Francis. So the first petition asking for the prayer to stop, got about 400 votes. And Wendy Francis from the ACL, uh, her petition got about 4,600. So this is sort of follows on from similar 
dueling petitions that happened with the Brisbane City Council. So uh, anyway, as part of all this, the Brisbane Times asked our state so leader. So what was Wendy Francis's um, argument? A lot of it is to do with tradition. Okay, so can we uh, propose a change to Queensland law that disenfranchises women because uh, state tradition was that women didn't have the vote? It's no longer the tradition. Well, but it was the tradition, and mm. I think we should go back. If, mm. if Wendy Francis is keen on tradition, mm. I, I think we should be all for tradition. Actually, here she says, is, um, I'll tell you what she said. She argued, religious observance is a right and proper acknowledgement of Australia's legal and cultural heritage, which is being decisively shaped by a Christian ethos. Australia was founded with the principle of separation of church and state, but was never intended to keep religious ideas, people or prayers out of public life. Um, So, yeah, relying on legal and cultural heritage as a main argument. Mm. I think there are plenty of things that are heritage that are odious. Yes, that's right. So, Uh, Like sexism, for one. Hmm. And I mean, Wife beating, you know, telling it, women that their place is in the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, it was normal to just have stairs leading to buildings. Now we have ramps because we have yes. disabled people. Like, there's a whole, just because it was uh, a tradition doesn't mean you keep it up. So they asked the opposition leader, David Chrysafulli, who said, I wholeheartedly support this time-honoured tradition continuing. And a spokesman for... Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk responded with a yes. Uh, During the October state election, Ms Palaszczuk said she held deep Christian values. So nothing's going to happen in terms of our political parties. Uh, Another job for the Noosa Temple of Satan. Because I think under the Anti-Discrimination Act, there's bloody good grounds for... Has has anyone reminded uh, Wendy Francis of 1 Timothy 2.12? Please I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She oh. must be quiet. <laughs> is, is Timothy Old or New Testament? New Testament. That's what I thought, yeah. Mm, that's good. So a lot of Christians claim that, you know, they, they basically don't take too much notice of the Old Testament mm. anymore because they're New, new Testament Christians. In mm. other words, the new, mm. you know, nice Christians. Mm. But there you go. Perfect example. Thanks for that, Joe. Mm. (laughs) That might find its way into the application somewhere. Somebody should send a copy of that. Mm. Uh, And there's also the um, Jesus saying, do not be like the hypocrites and pray in public. Go into a quiet (laughs) corner, go into a closet and pray in private. Exactly. Great point. That's a good one too. So all the parliamentarians should have their own little private boxes to pray in. No, I honestly believe before that, the you know, beginning of session. I honestly believe that they should have these prayers and that sort of stuff out of the public view. They can have their own private prayer meetings. Yes. They can go in there, they can pray and that sort of shit, and then they walk into the parliament and it's done. It should be between them and their God. Exactly. Not, Not between involving them, them and the public. And the public. No, mm. the public shouldn't have anything to do with their personal relationship with the Lord. So then do we do we then throw the whole um, welcome to country and that sort of stuff that they say at the, at the same time? Should we throw that into the same thing? Throw it out. Keep, well, I, keep I know it, you want to throw it out. But, keep you know, it all out. Do you, want to, do, you, do you then think that they shouldn't have that and that sort of stuff in the parliament? Uh, no, I don't think they well, should have any of it. Yeah. It's all superstition. Well, I don't think they should. 
Yeah. But that would just complicate an application. That's that's a sec- that's round two later exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, that was part of the mm. objection some people had to the Temple of Satan's approach, wasn't it? That they're mm. they're basically lending legitimacy to the idea that people need religion or need a church. Or I haven't heard that. You haven't heard it, really? No. no. Oh. Mm. I've 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 read people say that. Yeah. While they can understand the uh, Noosa Temple of Satan's sort of activism against prayers mm-hmm. in parliament and mm-hmm. and and privileging christianity in mm-hmm. in schools it's sort of um counter to the idea that we don't need any of that bullshit in mm. a sense you know then they're not reading between the lines clearly that's their problem what what's between the lines they're not reading they're not understanding really what's going on with the new oh, temple I think they are understanding and mm. they concede that you know, I'm sure mm. they understand why they're doing it. Mm. It's but to show the hypocrisy of the... Well, well, well it's to actually the, get change. Yeah, yeah. It's, to it's get not, change by showing yeah. the hypocrisy of the people who control the, um, the you know, And, the, and also the by making it so odious to those in power mm. uh, that they want to get rid of it. Mm. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's, uh, they find the Temple of Satan mm. odious. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously. That's the point. Yeah. Well, it, well, it depends on the circumstance. So when it comes to religious instructions in school, mm. it's about what you just said about it being so odious. Well, we don't want that sort of thing happening. We'll yeah. stop all of them. And when it comes to the prayers in Parliament, that's a discrimination issue. So, but, but also yeah. um, once, it, once we start getting satanic prayers... Mm then it will very quickly be shut down by the Christians because yes. if, if we don't get sole ownership, then nobody can get. Yeah. And, exactly. And, and the satanic position will be there should be no prayers or invocations. It's, it's not asking for a satanic invocation. It will be there should be none because you can't well, satisfy no, it, it all religions. Or it should be none. Yeah. I, so I it think it, it needs to be. Well, well, the position will be that it shouldn't even be all. It just should be none. Right. Yeah. Incidentally, when it comes to religious instruction, there's already a family at Centenary High School who have changed the couple of kids, have put down Satanism as their religion, and there is a primary school in western suburbs of Brisbane where three families are considering um, putting down Satanism for their kids and religious instruction. Interesting. I I don't even know the name of the school as yet, but I'm assured by some well people that that's in the wings. I think we just need some more um, press and we'll get quite a lot. So if you're in the Brisbane, Queensland area, dear listener, and you've got kids at school, could you please write to the school, change the religion of your child to Satanism, and then let us know what school that is so that that will help put pressure on Grace Grace when eventually she meets with Robin to apologise for what she did earlier. I don't think that's going to happen somehow. Oh, I think there might be a meeting at some point. Really? Well, you, was, do you genuinely think Grace Grace is going to apologise? Well, she's in breach of the Anti-Discrimination Act. so it's, If uh, it's that uh, or face court. So, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see yeah, what happens. It'll be the easy option. So, <laughs> yes, I suppose that is the easy option for politicians, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the thing about the law. Just so, a hollow apology you know, and it's... Let's move on. It's the thing yeah. about, like, this is what Trump is finding. Like, Trump could bullshit his way for four years and just speak all sorts of crap. But when he had to go to court to try and get something done, then suddenly rules, rules mattered and exactly. bullshit and, mattered. Exactly. And, and bullshit was just thrown and, out and, and rules mattered. his lawyers so. agreed that the grounds of yeah. the case yeah. 
that there was no fraud, yep. that uh, you know, there were these small quibbles that was all that they really had. So, so executive and legislative power, when it enters the judiciary, is on an equal footing with, with the everyday guy. You know, so they're in trouble. I don't expect Trump mm. to apologise mm. or so, say he was wrong. No, Trump no. won't apologise. You know, if he's still alive in four years' time, he'll run again. Otherwise, he'll get his daughter to run. Mm. Okay. Um, Labor is pandering to Christians. Remember, dear listener, mm-hmm. from episode 280, just three episodes ago, we talked about the ALP National Platform Consultation Draft which had this section about Labor believes in and supports the rights of all Australians to manifest their religion or beliefs and blah, 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 um, and that this freedom is absolute, like no... They already can. And this, that's a, that went way beyond what was required and didn't acknowledge that there are competing interests that people have that might conflict with religious freedom. And There's going to be a weighing up process involved. So apparently there is a Labor senator, Deb O'Neill, a devout Catholic, and it's been her job to beef up the Labor Party platform when it comes to religion because they feel they lost votes. And the previous position said, Labor supports the appropriate protection of religious freedom for all people. Perfect. That was great. They already had it. They already had it. That's ample. And now they're saying it's an absolute right that can't be touched. Really? Do you think it's because um, Morrison is such an overt mm. and public Christian mm. that she feels they lost votes to Christians? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she feels if somebody in the Labor Party stands up like Morrison and publicly declares her Christianity, I, that I, will somehow win voters. I find voters that hard back. to believe given. The census. Yeah. Well, she's a devout Catholic. Yeah. So, one of a declining number. Yeah. So uh, here's here's the good. Well, don't worry. They've consulted about this. It's been drafted following more than fifteen consultations with different communities of faith, including the Hindu Council of Australia, Buddhists, Lutherans, Anglicans, Baptists, and the Australian National Imams Council. A body of Muslim clerics. What about the Nusa Templar Satan? Yeah. Not invited. What about the humanists, the rationalists, the national secular lobby? Yeah, but they're not no. religious. Yeah. So exactly. they don't count. Yeah. That's exactly. Right. They're, they're second class citizens. That's right. She's quoted as saying, and I've had fantastic submissions from the Greek Orthodox community, from evangelical communities up in far north Queensland, and Freedom for Faith. God damn. Hang, hang on. What about the Rastafarians? What about their right to smoke dope unhindered by the police? I think that's an important legal protection. Should be. Just, and I've got a couple of little things to go through here. Um, Cam Riley, friend of the show, has a podcast and various other things. He got banned from Facebook. For what? He doesn't know. Facebook just says your account is closed. Closed? Yes. Oh, not just a temporary thing. Exactly. They closed. Not just you're in in purgatory for 30 days. That's amazing. Because that happens to a lot of people for very, very minor sort of language infractions, doesn't it? Didn't even tell him. Isn't that bizarre? And he uses that account to admin various pages, Mm. which he has now lost control of Mm. because that was the. He just can't access it anymore. So, dear listener, if you've got a Facebook page for a community group. Um, Set up make, a sock puppet account. Make, 
a sock puppet account, like a, a, a second account. A, a fake account. A fake account that you can access mm. if Facebook just pulls the pin on you for, and they don't have to tell you anything. So that was good. Mm. Well, not good. It was just, um, holy shit. There, there was a guy in one of our groups who got a Facebook jail. Right. Uh, for saying something about the jinx, uh, and he got banned for 24 hours or 48 hours for that. Right. And he said, but I'm Chinese. <laughs> He used the word chink. He used the, the, the word chink. Yeah. And he right. said, but I'm allowed to use it because I am Chinese. Yeah. Mm. That's like black people can call each other the N-word. Yes. Yes. We're not allowed to, Paul. <laughs> New patrons, Don and Daniel. Thanks, guys, for signing up. Much appreciated. Uh, we previously mentioned Afghan um, Talking veterans. About, um, somebody earlier. Mm-hmm. I've lost him, has said he's re-signed up with a new credit card. Uh, very good, yes. And another person said that as well, uh, contacted me privately. Their credit cards <laughs> had been declined and they didn't even know. So good on you, Aiden. So your intimidation tactics worked. <laughs> my, my, my shaming, yes, <laughs> it worked. Uh, so thanks, Don and Daniel. Good on you. Um, Afghans, we talked about our veterans, how many died. It was 41 casualties. But did you know at least 500 Australian military veterans have died by suicide since the start of the Afghanistan war. So that's a lot. It is a lot. I saw something recently. The US military are very interested in MDMA for PTSD. Right. um, Because it's an empathogen, so it takes away your fear. Right. And it allows uh, counselling sessions to take place to go through the trauma without suffering the fear of trauma and helps people process. Right. There we go. And they're looking very, very seriously at it. Hmm. So hopefully there will be some relief in the future for returned veterans. I'm sure Des, my friend Des with his pharmacy, will be selling it as soon as it's available. Yeah, but judging by the tone of our polit- political leaders, I can't see it happening anytime soon. Can no. you? Seriously? It just makes me wonder. I mean, the veterans of the Second World War saw a hell of a lot worse and for a hell of a lot longer. Mm than the guys coming back from Afghanistan did. It just makes me wonder how many of them suicided. Exactly. Probably uh, quite well, a few. Yeah, I would say so. Here's mm. the other thing, though, is when you're in the Second World War, it was a pretty clear enemy. Exactly. Who yeah. was wearing a uniform in most cases, mm. and and you went into it with a different set of reasons to why we're in Afghanistan where you're pill- killing people who are not obvious enemy and... Mm. I just like a like it's that's tough, I think. It's like Vietnam, it's, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. so Northern that's Ireland. that would be the difference, I would say. Northern is, Ireland is the enemy is not so clear cut. The the guilt of killing people would be harder, I think, in that situation. I, I yeah, I understand that. It just, I mm. just, I, I found it very I think hard it's the to guilt understand of killing people. how the hell it happened. Mm. I think it's the guilt of seeing your friends suffer. Yeah, but in that as well. Possibly both, yeah. yeah. I have a personal friend, a, a, a very close personal friend who's a Vietnam vet, and uh, he, he's a very old bloke now, but he told me so many times of how terrible he still feels about killing people in Vietnam, mm. you know? I mean, he didn't personally shoot them, but he was a, a an officer. Mm. So he he was actually... Ordered... No, he, he, he used to organise operations. He mm. used to organise ambushes and things like this. And then after the ambush was over, he'd, he'd go around and 
his job was to, you know, look for papers and mm. any sort of intelligence that might be on their bodies. Mm. And he said some of them were just teenagers and mm. young women and it deeply, deeply affected him and he, mm. he, he had nightmares and he, he probably still has nightmares mm. regularly mm. for the rest of his life. Mm. It's a very deeply uh, affecting experience. I mean, if I was to fight in a war and I had a choice, I think the Second World War against the obvious enemy would be mm. would be my preference over mm. the Vietnam, Afghanistan style. I, I know that a lot of people who were in the Second World War just didn't talk about it. That's right. My father didn't talk about it, really. Mm. A few words here and there, if he was and, really pressed. And mm. so I, mm. I don't think we had any inkling of... Mm their internal feelings, whereas we mm. are a lot more aware mm. of subsequent wars, of, of what's going through mm. people's minds. Mm. See, that's very much like my grandfather. You know, it was only years, years after he died that we'd gone through his diaries. We found that he was a coast watcher. What's a coast watcher? Uh, they're up in New Guinea, uh, coastman or something like that, coast coast watcher. Coast watch. Yeah, yeah they coast were- they were, they'd watch for enemy shipping and planes and, and then, and, and then report it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then radio it back and that yeah. sort of stuff. And he um, had a relatively easy time of it because he was just radioing it back and that mm. sort of thing. But he also had entries in his diaries where he talked about the blokes that were up there at the front and that sort of stuff. They'd come back and they'd tell him things. Mm. And that was actually really quite distressing when you'd actually read them and that sort of thing. You'd think mm. to yourself, Jesus Christ, this man's hurt a hell of a lot. Mm. Hey, in the chat room, mm-hmm. Robin has sent a link to an article and the URL says Canberra Bill to Decriminalise Heroin, um, Meth, MDA, MDMA. So yeah. it looks, looks like Canberra is onto it. Yeah, Canberra, uh, the politicians always legalise things for themselves and not for the rest of the country. <laughs> oh. Well, we'll have to wait and see whether or not that survives because Canberra is a territory which is... And got, the population be, is very progressive. Yes. Yeah, yeah but... You know they were they could have their um, they could have their laws overturned by the federal government. They can, yeah. Mm. Um, excuse me, Paul. You sent another link. This is one of the various ones that you send that I mm. read. All of them, good. And it was about the the uh, the guy who committed the um, massacre in Christchurch, mm. and they looked at his childhood yes. and what he'd. Lots suffered. of computer games, had That's a trauma right. with the death of a grandfather and mm. bullied at school, various other things. Did you think that article was misplaced or something? You had an issue I, with it? Yeah, my issue with it was that... Um... Can I tell you what you wrote? Will that refresh your mind? Okay. You said, here's why we need to screen all our children and their teachers for correct thought or maybe just abolish normal schools and replace them with residential education camps. That's right. So yeah. It was just... obviously tongue-in-cheek, but right. it seems to me that um, some people are just looking for every possible reason to regulate our lives, starting with early childhood, mm. You know, so, in, in order that we grow up into it, these it, fully it formed... Was... Perfect human beings. It was the fact that he'd uh, made racist comments and that the school had called him up on it and they should have been more aware and he should have been pulled aside and dealt with earlier, I think, was the article. And they're speculating that if something had been done to him, Mm. you know, he would have somehow grown up to be this fine young man and not the horrible racist mass murderer that he turned out to be, you know. I mean... But there are all these 
things that happen in anyone's lives. You know, all these forks in the road. I don't know if you agree with me, but to me, throughout my life, if I think about it, there were literally endless forks in the road where if I'd gone one way rather than the way I did go, my life might have turned out quite differently Mm. and I might have become quite a different person, you know. And I think the same applies to him. So for them to go back and say, oh, they should have done this or they should have done that and then he wouldn't have killed all those people. Well, it's possible, but a whole lot of things are possible. My reading of the article was these are things that happened in his life. Mm. wonder if any... If any of that is the trigger for what he did, I didn't How see would it. We know? I didn't, yeah, I just didn't see it as. I just, I just didn't see it as a sinister article. I just thought oh, okay. they were just looking at things that happened in his life, and yeah. maybe that's why he ended up doing what he did. Like, yeah, I didn't see it as that sinister. I don't know. I did see something that kind mm. of suggested that there was a suggestion for intervention strategies, right, for wayward children. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's the, it's the same with you know. Um, what we come across in terms of sexism, where some some people think that if boys are just raised right, then we'll eliminate rape. You know mm. what I mean? This mm. kind of thinking. Yeah. Anyway, um, Scott, mm. uh, as a representative and speaking on behalf of all gay people, <laughs> because they all think the same. Exactly. Yeah. And you're one of them. So yeah, you're, okay. you're so you think exactly the same yeah. as the rest of them. So please tell us. <laughs> how gay people think on this particular issue, um, Scott. So it's about can straight people play a gay character in a movie? Absolutely. That- they should be allowed to. It, it, I- but this is just my opinion. All right, but oh, no, no, I- you speak on behalf okay, of, of well, all I'll gay people. I speak on behalf Scott. of all gay people then. <laughs> I honestly believe that those two straight men that played the positions in... Uh, the cowboy one? Yeah, cowboy. What was it Broke called? Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Mm. I honestly believe those two straight men were the perfect pick for those particular roles. They were gay by the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) Gay for pay. Uh, They were good. They were very good. And there were two straight men playing two gay guys. You know, it's just a ridiculous nonsense. Was their depiction of, of gay men, do you think, authentic or accurate or realistic? Because all gay men are the same. Exactly. And, and exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I, were, were they convincing? <laughs> Sorry? Were they convincing? That's the, yeah, they that's were convincing, the but, you know, the bedroom scene was a little bit over the top, but, you know, that's right. just one of the things that you just think to yourself, yeah. well, you just put that down to some people do it that way, I suppose. Right. But, you know. It was a tent in the mountains. I know it was a tent options in the mountains. Sort of stuff. Yeah. The t- options were limited, but, you know. Who was pitching a tent? No. <laughs> The anyway, the reason is, the reason why I say this is yes. because The Prom, a new Netflix film based on a Broadway hit, is the latest production to run afoul of current casting controversies, causing angst from Hollywood to Sydney. Blah, blah. Obviously, gay character played by a straight person, people complaining. Um, yeah, and I there would was... just like to point out, mm-hmm. okay, Russell Toby is a gay man mm-hmm. who has played straight roles as well as gay roles. Mm. Now, should he be only limited to playing gay roles? Of course. I don't, I don't think he should play bisexual Not. roles either because bisexuals are even more pre- yes. uh, uh, at the bottom of the victimisation. Exactly. And this is the whole point. You've got to be able to, you know, it's called acting for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. It's called acting for a reason because you are acting. 
Okay, yeah. but what about serial killers? Shouldn't we only have psychopaths <laughs> playing serial killers? Well, probably, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same argument happened um, in a film, Music, where there's an autistic character and people were complaining that an autistic girl was not selected to play an autistic yeah. character. And mm. that British actor who played a, a guy with um, cerebral palsy, a very, very distinguished and famous actor. What's his name? Um I don't know celebrities, I'm sorry. Mm. So, anyway, mm. anyway. But, I mean, he, he's a terrific actor. Is this the guy Should that, he not have played it? Because he's not re- he doesn't really have, have cerebral is palsy. Is this the guy that played um, the bloke that was in the wheelchair with the computer voice? Um, no, no. Hawkins. Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Yeah. No, different guy. No, okay. Has, has anyone seen Tropic Thunder? Okay. It's, it's a very funny spoof film, and in it, Robert Downey Jr., plays a, a character actor who has decided he's playing a black man and so he does blackface and right. there was an interview about it and it was oh my god you couldn't get away with that these days it was mm. 1990s mm. and even though it was deliberately lampooning blackface yeah. Yeah. people just wouldn't see it as that and he said no i got zero stick for it because uh one of the other characters and i forget played a retarded man and he got all hate mail. Oh, really? Because that was even worse. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So so the blackface just slid under the radar. That seems strange. Mm. Yeah. The actor I'm thinking of, Daniel Day-Lewis. All right. He's okay. a good actor. He is a good actor. Mm. Right. Um, look, we had a good argument before about lockdowns, but that was just a warm-up, dear listener, for the main event. Wow. Ding, ding. <laughs> China. China. <laughs> Scott, I'm going to need another beer for this one. <laughs> China. Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade mm-hmm. reckons that um, there's over a million Aussie jobs are dependent on trade with China alone. It's a lot. Also, that um, the sorts of items that have been um, well, stopped. The China has stopped taking beef, crustaceans, wheat, barley, sugars, alcohol, wood, wool, copper ores, and concentrates. Together, represent seven point five eight percent of our total exports to China. So, only a small fraction so far. The big ones: iron ore, fifty six percent; coal, nine percent; and natural gas, ten percent. So. So while the list is long on those other things, they're a very small component. And um, so uh, we'll see, just, you know, putting that into perspective. And the latest news since this article has been that uh, coal is the latest one, it seems, where they're basically saying we don't want to take any um, Aussie coal, we'll take it from other countries. I think that was uh, thermal coal. Right. So not coking coal. As far as I'm aware, not coke and coal, but that, you know, who knows, that may follow. But coke, mm. Australian coke and coal is um, supposedly good mm. quality and in demand. Mm. And they, they haven't stopped importing iron ore, have they? Mm. No, no, they need that. Morning, they can't get uh, a this decent This morning I was listening to a uh, thing on uh, Fear and Greed, which is an economics and business podcast. And he was saying this morning that China has sent a please explain to the Australian authorities and that sort of stuff, explaining why your price has gone up for iron ore. Right. 
Oh, they don't want to pay more. Yeah, I know that, but that's the whole point. Yeah, they've already they've already put it. They've already Nobody put does. us on notice. They've already put us on notice for that. Right. It's a market system. Yeah, oh, that's right. It's the one where they can't get a good alternative. So mm. we've got them on that one. But you're so, aware that so. they um, were trying to buy a stake in a in a rather large iron ore miner in Western Australia several years ago, mm. and mm. this is before the COVID bullshit. Indeed. Okay, and the. Uh, I don't know whether it was the Australian government that was nervous about it or the iron ore miner, mining companies themselves, but they got together and they organised a way of denying China the opportunity to buy into that. Mm. And the Chinese were seriously pissed off. Indeed. So because this they was... would have had a very major controlling stake in the industry. So this goes back a decade. Rio Tinto was on the verge of collapse in the wake of the global financial crisis. Secured a deal with a Chinese government-owned firm called Chinalco to hand over control of the world's most valuable iron ore mines in Western Australia's Pilbara. The Chinese Communist Party effectively would have been delivered control of global iron ore pricing and with it Australia's future economic well-being. Yep. It was an outrageous proposal struck at the bottom of the market that enraged Rio shareholders and sent shivers through Canberra and rival iron ore producers. Eventually, it was kiboshed by a proposal from BHP to merge the pair's Pilbara operations, mm. a concocted deal that was never likely to be approved by competition regulators. Retribution was swift. Within weeks of Rio rescinding the Chinalco agreement, its entire Shanghai-based marketing team, led by Australian Stern Hu, was arrested on bribery charges and eventually jailed after secret court hearings. That's right. Had that deal gone ahead, we now would be powerless. That is an excellent example of when you have to stand your ground. Yes. And, say, and it's also a good example of why this, you know, thing about COVID and Morrison demanding uh, weapons inspection powers is not what started the, the, the row with China. It, it's it, been going for years. It's been going for years, but that doesn't mean that it didn't inflame a situation unnecessarily. So this is an example. and It was already and, on fire. Yeah, well, you throw fuel onto an already bigger onto a fire that's already going. What happens? The Chinese were so, always going to do this to us, Trevor. But, but Paul, always. here's my point. I'm saying that is a great example where Australia had to stand its ground. Yep. Huawei wanting to have a telecommunications network here. That's another one. You stand your ground and you say Absolutely. no. You can't do that. So there are certain times when it's completely legitimate where you yep. say I don't care that you're going to be pissed. You're not having it. We would have been but in exactly the same position. But you do now. not unnecessarily. No, every like lots of diplomats and well-regarded ex-ambassadors with no skin in the game basically looked at Morrison's actions and go, "You dickhead, you fuck this." So it was totally unnecessary to do what he did. These things are necessary. Stand your ground. You don't pick every fight. I agree with you that Morrison was very clumsy, mm. but. I still think we would be in exactly the same position now as we are because mm. the Chinese were always going to bring this sort of pressure to bear and if they didn't get what they, were want, what mm. they wanted, they were always going to block our, impo- mm. our exports and punish no, us. They're making a particular they example of this They were always going to punish us. They punished those uh, executives mm. for that mm. and they were always going to punish us when we didn't go along with what they wanted. Something just stand your ground. You don't pick fights unnecessarily. That's the way they operate. Mm. And as we discussed last week, they did the same thing with mm. South Korea. They did mm. the same thing with Japan. And they do it with other countries. Other countries are much cleverer at 
picking their fights than Morrison is. And there was the an guys example a deal. of a, there was an example of a European country that uh, was it Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, and they were exporting some something quite successfully to China, and they they crossed the Communist Party, and all of a sudden, you know, their name was mud, and they stopped importing their stuff. They do it to everybody, Trevor, ex- with the possible exception of the United States, because the United States is so big and they want to get into the, the American market so badly, you know, because that's where they sell a lot of stuff. Like all relationships, they can be managed to some extent. There are times when you stand your ground. There are times when you don't unnecessarily pick a fight. We picked one where we didn't need to. And they've said, all right, if you're going to be the noisy colonialist down there who... Uh, causes problems, we'll make an example of you. Here's some retaliation. So, well done, Morrison. Thanks for nothing. Sorry, Trevor. Mm. It was always going to come to this. I'll let the dear listener make up their mind on that one. Um, Mm. What else have we got here? I agree with both of you, actually. Right. Pick a side, Scott. Pick a damn side. I can't pick a side because it's not dead yet. It's not. It's not dead and buried yet. But I agree with both of you because I mean, I I agree wholeheartedly with Trevor. It was ridiculous what Morrison said. I agree too. Yeah. I agree with you on yeah, that point. But I honestly believe that China would probably have picked a fight with us anyway. They would have. They'd whinge over the iron ore price more than. Yeah. What's and really the, interesting is that yeah they're going to whinge over the iron ore price. But what's really interesting now is that there was a thing that. Um, Paul sent to us that was talking about a possible free trade agreement with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Now that will really enrage China. Yeah, that won't we, happen for exactly that reason. Exactly. Because we, the government doesn't want to go there with China. Well, the, that, uh, this is the whole point. If you, are, if you are trying to walk that fine line about not upsetting them too much... Mm-hmm. If we were to negotiate with Taiwan as an independent country, Jesus Christ, that would unload a world of hurt on us. It's not going to happen. We know that. Exactly. But, you know, at the same time, if our exporters can sell more stuff to Taiwan, good on them. I hope they do. Mm -hmm. But there won't be a free trade agreement. We all know that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. Right. Um, Don in the chat room says, is Jesus still missing? Surely they have put him on a milk carton by now. <laughs> Don't know where that came from, Don. Okay, um, flight attendants. Uh, China's transportation officials are recommending flight attendants wear disposable nappies and avoid restrooms. I sent you this one. I read everything you send. <laughs> Good. Paul. So they're saying that uh, flight attendants should wear nappies in order to avoid um, spending time in the toilets where they could get coronavirus. This is a weird story, isn't it? Can you imagine working a shift on a plane? How many hours could it be? It could be 10 hours, could be six hours, and the flight attendants are expected just to wee in their pants? This is from the Sydney Morning Herald, so presumably there's some truth to this allegation. It seems strange. Gosh. All right. Um, what else have we got here? It's a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Surely if they're wearing masks and all that sort of stuff, or they were using toilets... That would limit the spread of the disease, wouldn't it? Or they could go in with a, an aerosol or something and, and spray, spray the seat. Exactly. You know what I mean? I don't know. They're going in with an arsehole. Mm. An aerosol. Yeah. Bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. I think we're probably done, aren't we? So, what else have I got here? 
Could the agrofoturics and nuclear, which is going to take hours to actually debate, <laughs> yeah. so we'll, we'll leave, to leave that until twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, let's leave that for twenty twenty one. I think uh, renewables and um, power will be a big topic in twenty yeah. one. Mm. Every year, mm. <laughs> no, especially the way Morrison's being carved out by the international community and that sort mm. of stuff. Like mm. you know, he had to buy a seat at the table in um in the Pacific Forum to argue about it. And the Pacific Forum basically told him to go and get fucked because mm. he hasn't done enough. Mm. And, you know, it's – I don't understand where the Pacific Forum is coming from. Uh, this is the Climate Ambition Summit? Is this the yeah, current one that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's a Climate but, Ambition Summit. But they've, yeah. they've, even, they've even stuck the boot into Jacinda Ardern. They reckon that she's not doing enough, which, right. you know, I, I don't know. I, I think she's talking about it. Yeah. See, they, they're not into talk. They yeah. want something positive. But do you think anything will ever be enough for people? I mean, assuming the sea level does continue to slowly rise, they'll just keep saying, see, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. I mean, it's Morrison isn't King Canute, for goodness sake. He can't hold back the sea. No. And if it rises... He can't hold back the sea, but if he was actually to say, "Okay, fair enough, we've got to have a we've got to have a net zero emissions target by 2050, and we're, the way we're going to do that is by building more uh, solar powered farms and having uh, wind wind turbines and that sort of thing and tidal power, mm-hmm. then he would actually be able to get back onto the right side of the Pacific Islands and say, well, we've done everything we were supposed to do. What mm. more do you want us to do? Mm. You can do it in a canter. It's getting cheap, cheaper and cheaper every day. It is getting cheaper and cheaper every day. There. It's amazing how cheap or it's getting. Johnny Howard had funded mm. investments in renewables. Mm. We could have been selling this technology around the world and well on our way to um, getting to zero emissions. Mm. We've been selling the technology, or at least the raw material, to the world for decades. Yeah, I know, but most of that raw material... And it's called nuclear. And that raw material... Okay, sorry, I didn't realise you were going down the road. (laughs) Um, Uranium and that sort of stuff, I understand where you're coming from with that because, you know, most of the world has already got uranium reactors that work very well. However... What we didn't see coming was the price drop and that sort of stuff in renewable energy. And renewable energy has dropped dramatically in prices. But it still hasn't replaced the, the, the power lost. Every time they close a nuclear power plant, they just cannot make it up with renewables. They just can't because yes. it's so inefficient. No, that's not correct. It is correct. No. It's incredibly inefficient no. compared to nuclear. Nuclear is absolutely dense, compact power. But, but if you're looking at the cost per megawatt to generate power it's cheaper to generate it through renewables than it is to generate it through well, nuclear that's debatable well, well no it's, it's not debatable no it is debatable onshore wind no, yes, it's, compared to it's, nuclear it's, it's, it's uh, not debatable because the organizations who spend time calculating this yeah. do the sums yeah. and the and and at the moment nuclear is 155 Dollars, one hundred and twenty-three to one hundred and fifty-five dollars. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, solar is solar voltage is down to forty. Like it's not even close. It's not even close. Look, there are other factors involved in terms of cost. We, we've discussed this before, but we probably should leave it for mm. next year because it's a big topic. It's a huge well, topic. Well, what you have is the levelized cost of energy is what you need to look at. 
So that's where you look at the cost of, of um, building the power plant itself as well as the ongoing costs over its lifetime. So it's amortising the cost of the plant over its lifetime. Mm-hmm. So that's what you need to look at when you're looking at I the cost of a project. you need to look at too, like the land usage, so, so if we're just talking efficiency. About, so if we're just talking about cost, the uh, solar is just killing it. And, and it's they killing, haven't even... killing the environment too. And if you're looking at land use, in order to power Australia with solar, it's, you need about... 900 square kilometres of solar power. 900 square kilometres? Yeah. Of solar panels? Mm. Oh, would, Jesus would, Christ. Would power Australia. 900 square kilometres of solar panels. Yeah. Is that what you want in Australia? 900 square kilometres of How solar panels? How many square kilometres of land are currently affected by coal mining in Queensland? I'm not an advocate for coal. My point is... If you plop them on top of the current land, it. it wouldn't be nine hundred. It's eleven hundred. So you could plop all of the solar that's required onto land affected by coal mines, really? and you'd have land left over. Yeah. So there's plenty of room. Okay, I'm not advocating coal at all. I'm no, but you're advocating nuclear, land use and how much it would take up. And I'm and explaining would to you take up about one four hundredth. But it's expensive. Why do it? At $155 when you can have solar for 40 Because there are other very real benefits. Look at the cost. It's reliable. Look at the cost. It's on stream yeah. all the time, whenever you want it, when yeah. you need it. You can scale it up, you can scale it down. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it, that's why you it's have... It's not dependent on the sun shining or the wind blowing. But you see, when the difference is $40 compared to 155 then you can afford battery storage. Batteries are not that cheap and they're not that they, efficient no, either. they are that cheap no, and they are not. incredibly efficient. So when you talk they're about... incredibly efficient. When you're talking about um, switching on and off, nothing is faster than a battery. Like within milliseconds, Do you think- they go from taking power okay. in to putting power out. Yeah. Look, like I don't if have If you want to figures. go up and down with power... A battery is the ultimate option. I don't have the figures, mm-hmm. but we need, to, we need to discuss this at length mm-hmm. because what I, I'm reading a book by Michael Schellenberger mm-hmm. and he says that basically if you want to um, have battery backup, you're going to need huge, huge quantities of batteries mm-hmm. and they're not cheap. They're getting cheaper all the time. When did mm-hmm. you write the book? It's a recent publication. Mm-hmm. It just came out. Mm-hmm. These things are... Are changing rapidly. Well, like so I just think every if you year. should look at the difference in price between 2009 and 2019. Nuclear mm. has gone up from $123 per kilowatt hour to $155 per kilowatt hour. And, and it's whereas the solar and that sort of stuff's declined from $359 mm. per kilowatt hour down to $40 yeah. per kilowatt hour. But look, for uh, you know, um, possibly economies of scale could make nuclear actually become cheaper again. We don't know. But the economies of scale are, are, of the economies it. of scale are actually working in the solar 
and battery technologies. Yeah, but, you know, so, do you want to cover the landscape with that blight? Well, I'd just put them on the old coal fields and we're, we're done in Queensland. I don't think you so, could put them on the coal fields because the coal fields are big, enormous pits in the earth. This is just a comparison for you when you're saying, do we want this blight? Yeah, and, well, it would be a new and, blight. It wouldn't cover and, over the old coal fields. Well, well, it would be a, new, separ- a completely separate new blight covering no, the landscape. 900 square kilometres in a country of the size of Australia is yeah. not much. It's still a lot. And you could also put them out in the ocean. That's the yeah. stuff they've, they've already yeah. talked Solar about. Solar panels. Yeah, uh, wind, wind farms. Wind farms mm. out in the mm. ocean. That's mm. the Have stuff you seen that? Yeah. I've seen them in Europe, yeah. Mm. On, what do you think of them out in the ocean? Horrible. Right. But great for fish. How are they great for fish? Fish love structures. Love they, structures. They love windmills, do they? Yeah. No, they, they become, they they become, sort of, they become sort of an yeah. artificial reef. Fish would they? love windmills. <laughs> Okay, build windmills to make fish happy. Mm. Yeah, great well, idea. Well, not to make them happy, but just as a as a side benefit. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make that much difference to the fish. Do you really seriously think that, that that's a huge side benefit? But but you you previously have said solar panels are terrible because of what they do to the land. Yes, they cover and it, just, and, and just, they deny the and, and despite. Evidence that you can actually grow sheep under solar panels and 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 grow and grow crops, and now with wind on the ocean, we're explaining you actually can't. it has a benefit. It's not detrimental because the fish love structures. You just don't want to go for it. There may be some plants that you can grow under solar panels. You can't do broadacre farming under solar panels. You can, you can have sheep and grass under panels. You spread them out enough, and the as the sun moves around, there's a, you can. I, I've just but, shared that picture of um, the landmass used in oh, Australia okay. for solar. Yeah. So it's not much. I can't yeah. see it. Uh, hang on. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, but it doesn't matter. Paul doesn't care. What I've said 900 square kilometres, which isn't much. And he still well, thinks Schellen- it's too much. Schellenberger it's, gave it's, the figure of something it's like... It's already less than what Queensland uses for coal. 400 times, he said. Right. You'd need 400 times the, the area for solar panels that you would need for one nuclear plant. Right. And it still wouldn't be reliable because it's still dependent on the sun shining. It's, a, it's an inefficient, clumsy way of producing power when we already have the marvels of nuclear power. It's an amazing technology. And, you know, it's just that some activists have instilled fear in the population of nuclear and most of it pretty unfounded fear. People think it's this sort of, you know, devil, devil substance. They just think it's expensive. That's that's the problem. I don't think that's true, Trevor. If, if no, it was, it's fear. It's mainly no, about no, fear. It's about cost because I don't you, think you've basically true. got companies who have to sell elect, who, who make money by selling electricity to governments, hmm. and if the government can buy it from renewables for forty five dollars. Why would you build a nuclear power plant when you know you're going to have to charge 150, 160 in order to justify it? Why would you? The sums don't add up. I, I don't think the sums are absolutely settled, to be quite frank. I think this, there's a this, lot of information out there, and this is a very this let, is let, clearly let, put together by people who want to promote. Solar no, and, and wind. And they are selecting the figures that no, that support their case. This is from Lazard, which is the long-standing levelised cost of energy report. It's widely considered an industry benchmark. Okay. See? But there are other factors involved, you know. 
it's not even close. Forty-five dollars to one hundred and sixty. Well, again, as I said, I, 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 I'm pretty sure if nuclear. Yeah. Tell power- us what Schillinger says about the price of of wind and solar. Yeah. In the price of nuclear. Well, I'm interested to know what he's, the book, but interested to know what he says. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to put some numbers mm. together. And this is the levelized cost. So the cost of building the plant, amortizing the cost of that plant over mm-hmm. its lifetime. And this is part and, of the problem, is because insurance, right? Is, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to insure it because everybody's so scared of it. You know, the you know the the anti nuclear lobby has mm-hmm. been incredibly successful at terrorising the population about nuclear power, making them just think it's, you know, some kind of monster that's going to come and take their children away if they, you know, if they have a nuclear power plant built. Mm. It's, it's just all out of proportion, the fear of nuclear power. It's a, it's a marvellous technology. Human, humanity has, has progressed by using its brain, by developing, you know, innovative technologies, and nuclear technology is one of the most amazing we've ever come across. But people are so scared of it now. Nobody wants to touch it. Yeah, I'm not scared of it, but I honestly believe that you've got to look at the cost. And the cost has gone up, whereas the cost of solar energy has plummeted. plummeted. Mm. Anybody looking at the figures from 10 years ago, they're completely out of date, if that's where they're getting their opinions from. Like the, the price of solar is just... I don't think Schellenberger is getting his figures from 10 years mm. ago. You know, he's a guy that's been a, an environmental activist since he was a teenager. Mm. And he used to be anti-nuclear. And, mm. and the big driver behind nuclear in the 60s was the fact that we needed uranium for bombs. That's right. And that was the way of processing it. So, right. so it was a secondary effect that you could get electricity out of it. Right. The primary was refining your uranium for bombs. Well, that's right. part of the reason they went with um, fission reactors, isn't it? Rather than other types of nuclear reactors, mm. is they could get material to build bombs. Yeah. Mm. Well, at the current rate, solar is heaps cheaper, and it's only going to get cheaper. But it's so. not efficient, Trevor. Yes, it just is. Just not efficient. No, it yeah. only works when the sun's shining. Remember? Uh, yes, yeah, but if yeah, you have the sun spread over a large the, area, the, exactly. The, the sun's got billions of years left in Australia it. Australia is a really yeah. big country, and there is a point in yeah. in the night time when all of Australia is dark. Yeah, that's why yeah, you have you've got storage. batteries, and you've got you've got pumped hydro and, and that sort of, of stuff. That and you, but the cost of battery storage is now the point where, because solar's so cheap, you can afford to store it in batteries. Your excess, and you're good. And the other thing they're but, talking about is cracking water. This is what the studies are showing: storing hydrogen mm. and then using hydrogen, hydrogen oxygen fuel cells. Yeah. Yes, but that's that's an uh, that requires energy, doesn't it? You, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hydrogen. So when, when you've got an excess of energy in the middle of the day, yeah. So you create too much electricity in the mm. middle of the day. Too much. Yeah, too much. For your and needs. use the excess to crack hydrogen or crack water and turn yeah. it into hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah. Well, if and, and then at night when you need it, you turn it back in a fuel cell mm. to water. Yeah, well, that's pretty... And because it's so cheap, you can have enormous excess capacity. Just build a nuclear power plant. You can turn it up as much as you want. It's an ex- extremely dense energy source. It's expensive. Oh, it could be made cheaper, Trevor. No. Yes, with economies of scale, I'm sure it would be. And it's not going to come down from 164 to 45. It's expensive because everyone's so scared of it and they've placed incredible regulations, safety regulations, which it should have, of course. But, you know, a lot of it is to do with fear. 
It's it's to do with uh, economies of scale. There's a lot of it. So, look, I've seen The Simpsons. Mm. I know what the safety is like in a mm. nuclear power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, we've disagreed with Paul enough for one episode and one year. I think <laughs> haven't swayed any opinions around here. Have I swayed your opinion? No. See, so yeah. it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I haven't changed my opinion doesn't mean I'm a you know outlier in this arrangement. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thanks for another year. We'll be back next year. Now, dear listener. It's not difficult to deal with it, the waste, James Lean, by no, the way. No, it, it's That problem was solved decades ago. Provide some evidence with these things, Paul. Be good. You've heard of, mm. what is it called, Synrock? Mm. This mm. was developed by Australian scientists decades ago. Mm. They, you know, they encase it in, they embed it in some kind of artificial glass or rock or something. I heard it was glass, yeah. Yeah, and then bury it. Mm-hmm. We've got huge areas of central Australia which but, are perfectly safe places to store this stuff. Yeah. And there's not but, that much of it anyway. It's they're, an extremely they're, they're gonna be, compact they're gonna be covered, waste material. They're going to be covered with solar cells, these huge areas. Yeah, for, that's what worries me. Because we've got these huge areas that we can put this uranium. So I'd like to keep our beautiful landscape as it is thank you very much but just put them on Uluru yeah yeah so we're going to have a few weeks off that would upset the spirit you should be subscribing to this podcast because then it'll pop up in your feed when the next episode eventually makes it which I'm not sure when it'll be so see you in the new year dear listener bye for now thank you listeners for your forbearance (laughs) (laughs) thanks very much for tuning in bye now good night all fist Glove, twelfth man, hard bottom here. Glove, welcome back. I understand that you have become a burden to the taxpayer. Hmm. Typical. But today, my comments are for Fist. I've been very pleased with the length of your episodes of late and particularly your pro-China stance. I have a surprise for you, Mr Fist. Ni好,我是Landon Hardbottom,我是Landon 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 Hardbottom
So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.